Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. You have to have a set of products that the clients really want, and you have to have a client-facing message. Today on episode 542 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with Lawrence Pagnoni, the chairman of Lapa Fundraising. I'm going to ask Lawrence how you can build a consulting business that is financially successful and much more. You can find out more about Lawrence along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are here to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at yoursitehub.com. That's yoursitehub.com. Now let's welcome Lawrence Pagnoni. Lawrence was recently introduced at an Association of Fundraising Professionals meeting as our fundraising guru. The fundraising dilemmas of nonprofits consume his thoughts each and every day, and he writes about them offering real-world solutions, books, white papers, training videos, and his weekly free blog post. Lawrence has served as the executive director of three nonprofits. He's been a faculty member of the New York University Heyman Center for Philanthropy and Fundraising and has coached groups of nonprofit executive directors at New Jersey's Rutgers Business School's Institute for Ethical Leadership. He writes, teaches, and consults in order to help advance the nonprofit's fundraising program. Celebrating 25 years as a member of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, he has served on their planning committee for Fundraising Day in New York City. Lawrence earned three graduate degrees, all related to public service. He teaches workshops and offers webinars on fundraising all over the country, across Europe and Southeast Asia. In response to COVID-19, Lawrence launched special webinars called Our Time to Shine, which draw upwards of 500 attendees. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. I'm glad to be here. May I add one thing to the bio? Please. Uh, your audience may be very interested in the fact that I've run my own consulting firm for 25 years, and I've uh, never had a down year, and I've grown the company position now to succeed me in uh, in five years. So uh, given who listens to this terrific podcast, I thought that knowing that I'm too a business owner would uh, appeal to them. And we will get into that. We certainly will. So thank you for mentioning that. So you have been, as I mentioned in the bio, you've been heavily involved on the fundraising side of the nonprofit world for, it sounds like, all of your professional life. And fundraising is definitely the lifeblood of nonprofit organizations. Without funds, they don't function. And there are so many resources that are there to help nonprofits with fundraising. And you have produced a lot of your own resources, but you just wrote a new book on fundraising. Why? Well, I didn't think that most of the fundraising that's happening was very uh, deep, very thoughtful. And I particularly don't think that much of the fundraising that's going on in nonprofits is connected sufficiently with organizational development. So I wrote this book uh, 
so that people could think more deeply about their own fundraising. And I share uh, in 23 chapters how I've experienced that in growing the nonprofits and uh, in my own business over the past 45 years. Lawrence, what do you mean that the that the fundraising resources often aren't deep enough? What are, what are they missing? Well, they're mostly tactical, but you know, strategy is is absent. So uh, fundraising is mostly tactical. The strategy comes from the organization. So, for example, I was just on the phone with a national environmental parks organization, and you know, they're seeing an upsurge of people interested in in national parks because of COVID-19. So for the first time in their 50-year history, they're wanting to know more about their donors and they need to have segmentation of their donor strategy. So uh, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, prospect, advanced prospect research for them. And the segmentation of the donors is going to be connected to the different programs within their organization. So there's a group of donors who are interested in the fact that the parks uh, provide a lot of free meals. They're the second, the national parks and national park associations are the second largest provider of, of free food and free nutritional meals after the schools. I mean, who knew that? So, um, we're going to be aligning the organizational programs with different donor segments. And um, that's where you can get the organizational strategy linked with the uh, fundraising tactic. So if, they, if somebody wasn't thinking about organizational development in this case, what would you be doing and what would be the big piece that would be missing? Well, uh, most nonprofits don't really know their donors that well. So the tactic of doing advanced prospect research to get to know your donors. For example, do you even know their age or do you know they're giving to other charities? Do you know their capacity to give? I mean, there's so many terrific stories about a hundred dollar donor who gave consistently then becoming, you know, leaving a legacy gift of, of a million or two in their estate upon their demise. And that's a complete shock to the nonprofit. Well, it's a great story because the donor in that case is the hero. But of course, one has to ask, you know, why didn't the donor know more about, why didn't the nonprofit know more about their donor? So um, on a simple level, there are so many things suggested in Fundraising 401, the new book, that are very practical takeaways of what you can do to boost your revenue program even outside of the more intricate connecting it with organizational development aspects. Mm. And why are you so interested in producing a book like this now? Well, I had a great teacher, Peter Drucker, the father of modern management is his moniker. And um, Peter uh, transferred an ethical responsibility to me, to all of us who trained under him that it was our obligation to pay it forward, to pass it on to the next generation. And so that's part of my own career commitment to public education. It's also why I have a, a weekly blog 
which is read by some 29,000 people. It's a free blog at lapoffundraising.com. But I write basically to transfer skills to the next generation. Mm. And um, who's the ideal reader for this book? The ideal reader is um, a board. Uh, if you're on a board of directors, I know many of your audience uh, provides their business skills to various nonprofit boards. If you're on a board of directors, this is, uh, you know, required reading so that you could uh, be able to think about how to evaluate or pay for the uh, development program at your nonprofit. It's required reading for all executive directors of nonprofits. And then, of course, it's uh, really helpful for chief development officers, directors of development, advancement officers. There's so many titles we use these days, but who's ever in charge of development, it will, as you read it, you can have a cheat sheet on the side to say, you know, how, make your own notes about how it applies to your organization. And that way, by the time you're finished reading it, you could have a custom development plan for yourself. Now, Lawrence, earlier in your career, you were an executive director. You served in the chief staff role for three different nonprofits. What did you feel was missing from the resources you had available to help you with fundraising? Well, first and foremost, fundraising programs are painfully undercapitalized. So I would negotiate with my boards around uh, increased infrastructure for all general operating general operating expenses. So general operating expenses expenses fall into one of three categories, administrative costs, communications costs, and uh, fundraising and marketing costs. Communications and marketing sometimes is combined. But you have to have a strategy for making a case for your general operating expenses. You should know what they are at the current level and at the growth level of where you want to be. Most nonprofits are in New York City are still at a 12% overhead rate, whereas the, the reality is closer to 35 to 45%. So um, uh, paying for infrastructure is important. And um, I have a new blog post coming out about half a dozen ways to get overhead costs paid for. So uh, if you signed up for my uh, blog, you could, uh, you'll, you'll be seeing that in the next two weeks. Now, we talked uh, a little bit just at the outset about the fact that you've been running a consulting business for a long time. What prompted you to go from being on staff in a nonprofit to running your own shop as a consultant? Well, when, you're, when you run your own shop as a development person, your skills are applied to that particular organization. But I found my skills developing in a more meta way for the field as opposed to any one uh, nonprofit. So um, uh, being a consultant is a great way to work with many different organizations on different organizational development dilemmas and to help make growth, use the management principles to help different nonprofits grow uh, and advance to a better set of problems, which is my definition for organizational growth, to move from one set of problems to a better set of problems. In fact, I have a whole chapter 
uh, devoted to just that in, in fundraising for a one. And um, in your experience, do you find that there are certain people that tend to do better as consultants rather than as staff or as operators? Oh, yes. Uh, being a consultant is a, is a particular calling. Some might say that, you know, if you're problem solving oriented, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. Some people say, you know, consultants aren't necessarily uh, team players. I don't think that's true. To be a consultant, you have to know how to diagnose a problem. And that's something you can learn. You have to be able to listen to a client's reality and come up with a scope of service that that really adds a new dimension of on performance. That was Peter's, Peter Drucker's definition for innovation. So a consultant is really driven around innovation, as far as I could tell, and has a probably more of an entrepreneurial orientation than somebody who would work in-house. I found that, you know, I would generally spend about three and a half to five years at an organization and really enjoy it, but had a sense that my work was done, was done. So discerning, you know, where you're getting your energy and and to to keep that discernment up is part of of how how a, a reflective executive is built and i found that consultancy really fit me at a certain time in my career however if i had gone into it too early that would have been a mistake for me because part of my magic of being a consultant is that i've sat where many of these nonprofit executives have sat and I've had to make the tough decisions that they're faced with. So I'm able to speak to uh, that experience and I know what they're up against. Well, it certainly gives you a perspective that that's essential in order to be able to empathize with your clients. Yes, very much so. Empathy is uh, a very big aspect of being a, a top level consultant. Mm. What, what do you think are some of the ingredients to financial success as a consultant? Ah, terrific question. Well, you have to have a set of products that the clients really want, and you have to have a client-facing message, not just a you. It's not just about you. I read so many consultants' websites, and you know, it, it seems to be more about them than it does the clients that we're serving. In nonprofit fundraising, we talk about making the donor the hero of our appeal letters or our cases for support. But in nonprofit consulting, your clients are your heroes. And so you have to make your messaging about their results, uh, the the results of working uh, with them and and their needs uh, more more than your own. What have you found are some of the, the strategies for continuing to be profitable as the economy goes through major cycles, which often hit nonprofits really hard? Well, uh, a couple things right off the shelf, uh, right off the top of my head uh, that we that we did, um, as soon as we saw about a week before, well, March 23rd here in, in New York, the quarantine started uh, from the New York state government. So about a week before that, we asked for phone interviews with each of our clients' executive teams, and they could include their board members, so that we could learn about their fears and about what was happening. 
uh, worst case scenarios. And we created COVID free of charge. We created COVID-19 relief plans for each one of our clients, which partly were about fundraising, but also partly about organizational adaptability. And uh, those clients just used those plans to guide their way through COVID-19. In fact, we're issuing an impact report on that work this week. So you'll, you'll be able to see that. So being very client-centered, finding out what their fears are, what their needs are. And then secondly, we evaluated our own fee structures and we identified four areas where we could offer uh, waivers of fees. We don't use the D word account word. We talk about fee waivers, uh, temporary fee waivers that are on quote unquote special offer. The special offer is for as long as quarantine uh, lasts. And then there may be a second phase of that, but we're not, we're not quite sure yet how, what it will look like. But uh, we had a 30% increase in our sales because of those special offers. Talk to me a little bit more about that, because I think that is something that um, a lot of consultants struggle with, which is, you know, consultants have to pay, pay their bills, too. Yet what I've seen happen quite frequently when clients are having financial difficulties, one of the first things they try to cut is the service of the consultant, whether they need the service or not. And um, I've been at this long enough to see what ends up becoming very often long-term detrimental results for the clients because they have, they've cut critical services for a period of time. Yeah. So, you know, the rule of three applies with regards to, to clients, you know, 30, your clients are very thoughtful. A third are somewhat thoughtful. And the third, you know, you might as well talk to the, to the wall. It's that bottom third that is immune to counsel that you really want to uh, uh, happily disengage with and seek out, you know, real authentic partners. The fact that we only lost two accounts out of out of twenty showed the level of deep partnership that we had and the culture of our own company to uh, really be known as indispensable to our clients. So. I would encourage the uh, the audience uh, listeners to ask themselves, you know, how am I indispensable to my clients? Would they agree with my assessment of indispensability? And this is where my executive team really shines. They uh, are constantly in communications with our clients to define the indispensability factor. And by the way, I, I would also say, you know, I'm not just tooting my own horn. I'm also reflecting the, the vendors that we work with. You know, uh, we work with um, WIS Accounting in New Jersey as our bookkeeping service, and they're always practicing this. They, they try to figure out what we need that makes them indispensable. So I've watched the, the really good vendors that we have do this same practice, and we've learned from them, and they've learned from us, and we've, in fact, had good conversation with our own vendors about how they do it. And in fact, in some situations, we've brought our vendors into conversations with our clients to help them 
on problems that our vendors can solve uh, more than we can. And um, it's even strengthened our relationship with our vendors because we do that. Uh, we just did that last week and the client, our client was so grateful. In this case, it was an IT uh, vendor. So that's a few answers. Yeah. So, but what I'm hearing from you is looking at the business relationships all around between vendor, contractor, client, et cetera, as one relationships of deep long-term collaboration. Yes, absolutely essential. Uh, we're a retainer model. So a lot of consultants are short-term and that there's, there's merit to that. Nothing wrong with that. But as a firm, I think long-term retainers are really essential. Of course, they some people could say that they're more vulnerable because they're at a higher price point. And by the way, the, the fee waivers that I mentioned were never on our core services. They were always on our ancillary services. So um, that's an important distinction. Uh, there's no fee waivers or discounts ever on core services, uh, pandemic or not. And I've lived through the HIV AIDS pandemic, multi-drug resistant tuberculosis, which terrified New York City for over two years. People have a short memory about that. So COVID-19, of course, probably the worst one, but nonetheless, it's a, a disaster uh, response that we're talking about in terms of running your business. For sure. Now, Lawrence, earlier on, you mentioned that you have a five-year plan. What's coming up in the future? Well, we're having conversations about what the future of fundraising is. That's part of why I wrote the book. For example, David, I noticed um, at the Forbes Nonprofit Council on LinkedIn, I noticed that the profile of most of the Forbes Nonprofit Council members was leaning heavily towards uh, social entrepreneurship. And that's been a longstanding uh, sleeping dog in our sector. But I noticed that the next generation, the 20-year-olds, that's the uh, the big interest that they have. So we don't even here at, at Lapa Fundraising. We don't even have a service for for social entrepreneurship. Uh, and I'm not saying we're going to launch one just because of that trend. But it's of interest to me to understand how the younger people are perceiving the sector. Also, you and I have privately talked about how the younger generation, you know, uh, tends to leave the nonprofit sector faster than our generation did and how that, that concerns us greatly. So the nonprofit sector has to better define the value proposition of what it means to be a leader in our sector. So that's a, a question we're looking at for our own firm in terms of developing the next generation of fundraisers who will work here at LAPA. Yeah. So one of my big takeaways from this conversation, Lawrence, is the deep strategic thinking that you do as someone who's a leader in the field, um, which clearly shows up in the way you work with your clients, but also how you run your own business. Yes, we invest in the professional development of our staff, not just webinars and seminars, but in credentials. The main credential in fundraising is the Certificate of Fundraising Executives, the CFRE, and then there's an advanced CFRE certificate. So that costs, I think, somewhere around $6,000 to obtain. So uh, if you're a part of the LAPA team, that's, a, that's an opportunity for professional development 
And so many nonprofits don't have pension plans, but we offer that as part of our compensation here at, at our firm. We'd like to uh, say that it was uh, fully funded, but it's not. But I hope it will be one day soon. Well, Lawrence, this has been a really great conversation um, on a deep level about why you do what you do, the kinds of content that you have been creating over your career, why you create it, what you what you offer, um, the way you think about what your clients' needs are and the and the structure you've developed for your business. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything that we've discussed or access any resources you have, where would be the best place for them to go? Well, the book, Fundraising 401 itself, is available at my personal website, which is lawrencepagnoni.org. Lawrence is spelled with a U, not a W, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E. And my surname, Pagnoni, P-A-G-N-O-N-I, dot org. But I have white papers at our company's website, lapafundraising.com, that that are uh, of great interest, downloaded a lot from people, uh, especially during COVID-19. There's also um, videos at, on YouTube. If you t- type in Lap of Fundraising, you can see many of my videos there. Sounds great. And do you have a free gift for our audience? I do. I do. If you're on the board of a nonprofit or you're a nonprofit uh, staff member, no matter if you're a junior or mid-level or a senior staff member, I'd be glad to have a half hour free uh, Zoom call with you to talk about your one dilemma that you might have. And uh, I'd be glad to uh, to set that up with you if you emailed me at at uh, lawrence at lapafundraising.com. That's a very generous offer. Well, Lawrence, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been the chairman of Lapa Fundraising, Lawrence Pagnoni. Thank you again, Lawrence, for joining us. Thank you so much, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can build a consulting business that is financially successful and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.